Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. How are we? It's good to see you all. It's nice and cool in here, isn't it? Feels good. Feels a little nappy. So I'll be watching you. See what's going on out there. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, unrolling it. He found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. And recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, when he returns back to Nazareth, he takes the scroll of Isaiah And from Isaiah 61, he reads those prophetic words that there is someone coming who will bind up the brokenhearted and set the captives free and will bring restoration. And then as everyone looks on, he says, I I who speak to you am he. That is the primary business that I will be about. I will be about the restoration of human beings. I will be about binding up broken hearts and setting captives free and seeing that the blind see and the lame walk and... And I think if we were to boil it all down, most of us would ultimately say, what I want is to be healthy. Yeah. As we get older, that's a more vivid dream. But even, you know, at a younger age, you you can kind of get this because health isn't just about our bodies, is it? It's about our mental states, about our emotional states, about our relational states, about our spiritual state. I want to be healthy. I want to be healthy in all of those ways. I want to have a healthy brain, you know. I want to have a healthy emotional life. I want to have a healthy relational life. I want all of that stuff to be healthy. And what's really interesting to me is, you know, sometimes we say things like, I just want to be normal. Am I normal? Yeah. Because, I mean, you know, sometimes we have magazines, we can take a test and we can grade our normalcy. I'm not sure those are accurate. I don't know if those are scientific or anything, you know. Sometimes uh, things will pop up on social media and say, take the test. She's supposed to declare us normal or not, you know. And it is a problem because what is normal exactly? I'm not sure that any of us really know what normal is. And really, that's not what we want, normal. I don't want normal. That sounds very vanilla. I I want fulfillment. I, I want... I want to be whole. I, I want wholeness and, and, and purpose and abundant life. I, I, you know, I didn't sign up to be normal. I, I wanted to be somewhat above average. Amen? I mean, I'd like to have above average mental health. I mean, that's a goal. That's worth pursuing. And I think sometimes in our, in our journey with Christ, we 
we get the impression that he's going to deal with the spiritual things and then all the other things he's not that concerned with. But I'm, I've come to bind up the brokenhearted. I've come to set the captives free. And, and we know that he means that literally, but he means it metaphorically too. I, I want to take care of what is happening to you at the very depths of your being. And I'm, I do believe the scripture is pretty clear that the spiritual stuff has a lot to do with the mental stuff and the emotional stuff and the relational stuff. And it turns out it's sort of all intertwined, isn't it? That some of the stuff that makes us struggle has to do with selfishness and sin and pride. And it weaves its way into us in ways in which we struggle mentally and emotionally and relationally and spiritually. And I really believe that Jesus is concerned with all of it. Every single bit of it that he wants to be engaged with us in our journey towards wholeness, not just normalcy, but wholeness. Everybody doing okay? Good. I noticed this morning, I couldn't help but notice when I was over at Pasadena that there were refugees from Montrose at Pasadena this morning. And, uh, and that's great. I mean, you know, we have three services, so you can take advantage of whichever one you want. Um, and uh, I had to say halfway through the service over there, uh, the sermon is better than you're reacting. You, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And I admitted that I don't usually critique the sermon, but it just felt like that just because it's about Jesus and what Jesus was saying, and it felt better than the reaction I was getting. And in fairness, this was the reaction I was getting. And they admitted it. I mean, I'm not telling you things I didn't say to them. And so I'm just warning you that I'm in a fragile emotional place <laughs> and I want you to be as concerned about my inner well-being as I am so in Luke thank you <laughs> in Luke 5 there's a story that takes place that I think is this powerful moment and it's a story about Jesus and he's teaching and a crowd is gathered and he's in a home and so it's not the ideal spot for this and so he's teaching and people are outside and they're listening from the windows and the doorways and then uh, some folks arrive and they have a friend who's paralyzed and they have carried their friend on a mat to see Jesus because they believe that Jesus can help him and so they try to get in the front door and they try to get in the back door and they try to get in and they can't get access to Jesus there's no place that they can get their friend in front of Jesus and so they climb on the roof and they begin to disassemble the roof and we're told in Luke's very specific they take the tiles off the roof and then they they open a hole in the roof and they lower their friend uh, I mean you talk about interrupting a sermon I mean they lower him right in front of Jesus as Jesus is teaching and Jesus looks at the man and he says your sins are forgiven now, that is obviously not what the friends were hoping for. That is obviously not what they were thinking. And Luke tells us that he realizes that the Pharisees in the room are thinking, who is this person who claims to have authority to forgive sins? And Luke also says, and Jesus knew what they were thinking. And he asked them, why are you thinking that I do not have the authority to forgive sins, so that you might know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sin. He asked him a question. Which is easier, to say to this man, your sins are forgiven, or to say to this man, rise up and walk, so that you might know 
that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, I say to you, rise up and walk. And he stands up and he rolls up his mat and he walks. And it's this powerful moment in which Jesus is saying, listen, I know you think that the physical healing is what it's all about, but, but I immediately look at this person and go, he needs some inner work. <laughs> I mean, the outer stuff, sure, but he needs some stuff done on the inside. There's some, there's some forgiveness, there's some cleansing, there's some restoration, there's some inner work that needs to be done. And I think it's an incredibly important moment for us to understand this. That Jesus is not just about trying to take care of our physical beings, our spiritual beings, but he's, he's very concerned about the depth of our inner world and, and how we are invited to be fully integrated human beings. And that just means that our spiritual life and our emotional life and our mental life and, and our relational life all work in a, you know, sort of a synchronized way. We don't find some disposition, some disconnection where where, you know, we have a great spiritual life, but relationally we, we're not very good. Like we love Jesus a lot on Sunday, but we're kind of not nice the other six days of the week. That's weird, isn't it? Like we're very blessed in church, but on the way home... There are those crazy drivers at four-way stops. I do believe that it is someday Jesus is going, we're all going to get to heaven. He's going to laugh and go, oh, you guys went to Montrose Church? <laughs> How'd you like that Trader Joe's four-way stop I put down there? It's like, it's like an immediate test your spirituality. Oh, I love God. Hey, what's going on down here? It's like, we don't have to wait for temptation. It is right there waiting out the door. I think he wants us to be fully integrated human beings that display wholeness. That we didn't just get our sins forgiven, but our broken hearts were bound up. And what was captive was set free. And there was work in our inner world that he desired to do and to create in us a sense of health and well-being at every layer of our life. I like this quote from Albert Schweitzer. In everyone's life, at some time, our inner fire goes out. It is then burst into flame by an encounter with another human being. We should all be thankful for those people who rekindle the inner spirit. I think we can identify with at least part of this. We've all, at some point, kind of sensed that we had an inner fire. Like maybe it was, you know, when you were young and your fire's gone out over time. But we could all say, you know, I understand what it means to feel fully alive, excited about life. I understand what it means to feel like I've got to accomplish something. I'm looking for my purpose. I'm open. I'm, I'm risking things to accomplish a greater mission and purpose in my life. I've, I've had that rekindled in me. I, I appreciate beauty and art and whatever it is. And sometimes the fire goes out and then you meet an individual and you go, man, I love talking to them because something happens. And Schweitzer's just saying, you know, you might ought to slow down and be thankful for the people that reignite the fire. Like yeah, well, I, thank you, I hope. But as believers, we're not really waiting for another human being to ignite the fire. We're leaning into the presence and power of the Holy Spirit to ignite that fire in us. And I think we, we, we forget, we forget this opportunity. We forget to just bow our heads and say, God, 
Make me fully alive. I've come that you might have life and you might have it to the full. Reunite me. You know, reintegrate things, reconnect things. Whatever got messed up in here, that's my prayer. I'm not praying to be normal. I'm not praying to be average. I'm asking you to fulfill your purpose in me. I'm asking you to ignite something in me so that my heartfelt prayer and journey is your will done on earth as it is in heaven at all of the layers of my inner world, but also that spill out into the way I speak and talk and act and interact with others. It matters. Luke 3.16, John answered them and said, I baptize you with water, but one who's more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to die, he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He'll build something in you that kind of sets you on fire, gets you going. Luke 24.32, they ask each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scripture to us? 2 Timothy 1.6, for this reason I remind you, to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit of God gave that the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power and love and self-discipline. I just wonder this morning as we kind of enjoy this post-Easter series on the hope is real, how many of us are really prayerful in that way? God, what do you want to what do you I don't I don't want to just subsist. I don't just want to be reactive to life. I'm praying. I'm praying that you ignite something in me, something related to purpose, and that you bind up the parts of me that got messed up along the way, the broken heart, the things that are being held captive. From the moment of Peter's denial, we enter into sort of this very odd period of time in the scripture in which we don't know how to talk about what's happening to Peter. And the gospel writers don't really talk about what's happening to Peter, which is fascinating to me. It's kind of mentioned somewhat in passing, but, but some of the gospel writers just kind of choose to ignore the elephant in the room, and that is, what about Peter? I mean, Peter, who has been such an important part of this dynamic story to this moment, and now we have this moment of denial, and, and then we, we really kind of just fall off of the story. We know that Peter runs to the grave with John, and then we're, we're given a little commentary there, and it says, but John believed, but Peter basically still kind of confused. So that's not a real... And so some of the other gospel writers, as they, you know, kind of give us, we we find out that Peter is present that evening when Jesus appears in the upper room. So this is the first encounter between Peter and Jesus since the denial, since Jesus looked at him and the rooster crowed and he went away and he wept. This is the first encounter. And so what we don't have in the story is any interaction between Peter and Jesus in this moment. And that would be weird, wouldn't it? I mean, if you were in the upper room, wouldn't you have been watching to go, did Jesus look at Peter? Did Peter look at Jesus? Did Peter leave the room to get a cookie? Did, you know, it would be what is going on in the dynamic between Jesus and Peter. Peter's been a part of the inner circle. There's a broken relationship. Something has been undone. We're told a week later, he's still in the upper room. He's in the upper room a second time when Jesus appears, and still we have no information about what is exchanged between Jesus and Peter. The gospel writers, they go about talking about it, and Mark 16, 7 says, but go tell his disciples, and Peter, he's going ahead of them, he's going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you'll see him, just as he told you. So the, the messengers, the heavenly messengers at the empty tomb say, go tell Peter. So Mark is telling us, Peter's still 
got a key role, but we're not sure exactly what it is yet. Matthew doesn't address it at all. He figures that the event in Matthew 16 is good enough. You know, blessed are you, Peter, for man did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven, upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. That's sort of Matthew's crowning statement about Peter, and he doesn't alter it. It's just, you just go back early, and it's still intact. Then Luke 24, 34 gives us this weird piece of information. And saying, it is true, the Lord is risen, and he's appeared to Simon. Well, when? So sometimes we're like, well, maybe there was another appearance that was private to Peter, or maybe they're just encompassing the appearance. We we don't really know, but Luke throws in that little piece of information. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are giving us these cryptic indicators of what's going on, are not addressing the issue at all. And then there's John. And John gives us a vivid and detailed story of the restoration of Peter. Listen to what is written. John 21.10. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and he took the bread and he gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt. Because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. And Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? I think there are five elements of Peter's restoration that matter to you and me. The first one is this. It's a tailor-made restoration. Jesus sets up the restoration of Peter exactly how Peter needs to be restored. I think if you would ask Peter, what do you need to feel better about yourself? What do you need to feel better about what has happened? What do you need to feel uh, that you, you know have overcome this moment of personal failure, denial, shame? What do you need? I think Peter would have said, I don't know. I really don't know what I need. I think if we surveyed the room, we went around and go, what do you need to be restored? Most of us go, I really don't know. I'm really not sure. I could say some things. I could think about some things. I could wish some things. But if you said, is that going to fix whatever is going on inside of me? I wouldn't know the answer to that. But Jesus knows what Peter needs. And he initiates the process. He shows up on the shore of the Sea of Galilee while Peter is doing what Peter was doing three years earlier when he very first encountered Jesus. When Jesus very first called him and said, I will make you... Fishers of men. 
Jesus knows exactly what Peter needs, and he custom makes, he tailor makes this moment so that Peter's heart, mind, spirit, body, all of it can be restored and renewed. And that's how Jesus is. That's how he works with you, and that's how he works with me. If we're listening, if we're paying attention, if we're willing, if we're open, if we're prayerful, if we're longing, God, I I need you to do work. Some things are broken. Some things don't work quite right. They got traumatized. They got damaged. And I don't know how to restore myself. I don't know how to fix everything. But that Jesus takes the initiative. It's like that parable in real life. It's like a shepherd that has a hundred sheep and 99 are safe. Will he not leave the 99 and go in search of the one lost sheep? And when he finds that lost sheep, will he not celebrate? It's tailor-made to what Peter needs in this moment. Number two, it makes all things new. You kind of have to keep up. You have to pay special attention to what's going on because there's some subtleties in this thing. The careful attention that Jesus pays to making all things new for Peter, it's not just the original setting of what had happened in his call, but the activity is just like at the beginning. When Jesus arrests Peter for the very first time, it's recorded for us in John 1.42. Listen to what he says. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon Son of John, you will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. And from this moment on, Jesus calls Peter, Peter, until this moment of restoration. Verse 15, Simon, son of John, do you love me? That he goes back to address Peter in this way. That he goes back to say, we're going back to the beginning. We're starting fresh. We're making all things new. We're not just picking up where we left off. We're, I want you to go back to the moment we encountered one another, and I want to restore you to that wholeness. And I'm picking this spot where I called you, right here, maybe a mile that way, maybe a mile this way, when I said to you, I want to make you a fisher of men. And back then, on that day, I called you Simon, son of John, and I said, from now on, you'll be called Peter. But this morning, I want to ask you this, Simon, son of John... <laughs> Do you love me? I want to make it all new. I want to give you a chance, Peter, to make it all new. Number three, this restoration heals old memories. The attention to detail is astonishing. It's, it's early morning. I don't know about you, but I don't necessarily hear this around my neighborhood But I have lived in a lot of places where this was always true, and that is, there's always a rooster somewhere. (laughs) Amen? I mean, and I'm guessing even in some of your neighborhoods, there's a rooster, even though that's weird in Los Angeles. Raising chickens is a fad. That's a thing. I'm going to raise some chickens. Yeah, it's good. And coyotes. But I, you know, you, I, we'll be in Africa in a few weeks with the team. I promise you this, at the five-star George Hotel, it's not five stars. 
there'll be a rooster. I guarantee you there'll be a rooster right there somewhere. And you'll hear the rooster every morning. And I think about Peter. How would it be if the rooster were your trigger? I mean, what would that be like for you if the rooster crowing in the morning was your trigger? There wouldn't be very many places, safe places in the world for you to go without being triggered. And so Jesus shows up on the shore of the Sea of Galilee at dawn with the roosters crowing in the background to say to him, I'm making all things new, a tailor-made restoration. I want to heal your memories too. I want to heal your memories too. Every time you hear the rooster crow, I want you to think of the restoration, not of the denial. I want you to think of wholeness, not brokenness. And I want to give you the chance in real life. I know we could have prayed this through. But sometimes people need literal experiences to bind up their broken hearts. And to set free what is captive. The attention to detail and the parallel of these stories is astonishing. Because not only do we have this naming of Simon, son of John. Not only do we have the early morning. But we're told just previous to what I read that Jesus has built a charcoal fire by the side of the Sea of Galilee. Charcoal fire is only mentioned twice in the New Testament. The other occasion is when Peter is warming himself by the charcoal fire in the courtyard of Caiaphas in the moments leading up to the denial of Jesus. The attention to detail of these parallels is the greatest kind of compassion. Because you know what that means. It means that the smell in that moment was the same. That the depth of the memories that Peter holds are being tended, restored, healed, bound up. And that compassion, that attention... It's not just for Peter, it's for you and me. It is how the restoration, it's why the hope is real. Because this Savior gets personally involved in a tailor-made kind of restoration that you don't know exactly what you need and I don't know exactly what I need. But He knows. And He initiates the process to bring restoration to whatever inside of us might be broken. There is this need... And then, of course, we know the threefold conversation. He, was, he denied Jesus three times, and he's given an opportunity now to, to reaffirm his love three times. And you can't miss that little parallel, but, but this one's a little nuanced. And, so, and as he denied him the third time, the rooster crowed, and Peter wept. Do you love me? Jesus asked for the third time, and Peter was saddened. So even the emotional dynamic, even the arc of the story is that after the denial there was sadness and after the third time he's asked there's sadness because John wants us to understand the parallel nature of these stories and the full, the other gospel writers don't give us all of this, but John is saying, I want you to understand the depth of this restoration. Number four, it renews purpose. It renews purpose. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. 
Do you love me? I mean, Jesus could have said, do you love me? You know I love you, Lord. All right, you're going to be an administrator from now on because you're damaged goods, because you denied me in front of everybody, and now I'm going to give you an administrative role behind the scenes because you can no longer be out front because you're damaged goods. You're in the consolation bracket, Peter. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to give you a secondary job where nobody can look at you from now on because you're broken. Nope. I'm going to renew your purpose. What's your purpose? Feed my sheep. What I call you to do, be fishers of men, build disciples, go do it. Get back to work, Peter. Get yourself off that stinky boat. You get the setting? What are you doing out here in the middle of the night, fishing for fish? That's not where I'm leaving you. You're not coming back to that. You get back out there and feed my sheep. You get back out there and feed my sheep. I am renewing the purpose to which I called you. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Get busy. Go back. I'm not relegating you to the consolation bracket. I'm restoring you to your original purpose. Get back on mission. And finally, he restores his priority. So we have this, everybody good? Still with me? All right. We have this arc of this intricate restoration and now Peter in this moment, I don't know what you would be feeling. I mean, I, I think you'd be feeling joy, release. I, I just, and what does Peter say? What about him? So like us, isn't it? It's so like us. Now I feel a little better, but what about John? That guy bothers me. <laughs> He's always the one who Jesus loved. You know, even in the story, you know, and this, is, this is the same one that leaned his head against Jesus and said, who's going to betray you? Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> what about him? And Jesus is very explicit. What has that to do with you? What is it to you? Boy, that's good advice. That is good advice for us brokenhearted people that need restoration. Stop looking at the other disciples. Because they're going to let you down, or bug you, or annoy you, or make you feel less than. You know, they may look, they may, because, you know, for all we know, Peter's going, he's so saintly. I mean, St. John. I will never measure up to that guy. You know, it doesn't have to be that he, it, it, whatever it is, looking around at people is not a great idea. What does that have to do with you? And then he just resets his priority. Here it is. Follow me. You follow me. Stop looking around. Follow me. And just keep following me. And get up tomorrow and follow me. And what the next day your priority will be, follow me. And you know what it'll be in a year? Follow me. And you know what it'll be in five years? Follow me. So just follow me because that's your priority. So I'm here to restore you. The restoration is real. The hope is real. And it seems to me this morning that all of us want our inner world healed. We may not know exactly what that looks like. But the intricate work to convey to us this story is a message that says, I care about your inner world. I am come to bind up the brokenhearted and to set the captives free and to see the lame walk and the blind see. I who speak to you am he. I am the one who is in this business of that kind of restoration 
you can lean into me. God, would you, in these closing moments of this service, hear the cry of our hearts? We need restoration. You know the hearts and lives represented around this room, those online. You know those that will watch during the course of this week. You know where the pain is. You know where the places where we're stuck might be. In a moment, we're going to sing those words, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. My chains are gone. I've been set free. And I pray that as we sing those words, that we might offer up to you some places where we feel stuck, some places where things are not all fully integrated. Maybe there's some places in the way our brains are functioning and we can't seem to get free of the thoughts and we're trapped in some kind of loop that keeps us down and depressed and anxious. Maybe it's in our emotions. We can't seem to feel joy and, and, and we, we just feel somewhat lost or numb and we need that flame in us reignited. And maybe there's some sins to confess and invite you to forgive and to restore and help us. I just pray in these closing moments that you'd remind us that the hope is real. That your attention to the intricate details of our life and of our story is the commitment and the promise of the Messiah. I am come to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the captives free. Do that work in us, we pray. We seek it this morning. Individually, we seek it collectively. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen. Will you stand as we respond to the word? Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.